0: Scripture reading this morning is easy to find. It's Matthew 25, first book in the New Testament. And to make it extra easy, it's page 702 if you have the red uh, pew Bibles. While you're turning to Matthew 25, I want to, um, in in the event that there are any young mothers in here with children in the nursery, I want to put your mind at ease. I know the bulletin says I'm there. I'm not, but it's covered. It's covered, okay. Um, Matthew 25, and we're going to start with verse... Fourteen. It's the parable of the of the talents, is a very familiar passage to most of us. Starting with verse fourteen again, it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. His master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." The man with the two talents also came. Mastery said, "You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more." His master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what, you, what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where, he will be, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." I pray that this morning uh, we'll understand this text and that we'll be applying it to our lives. Thank you.
1: Well, good morning. On behalf of our Lord, I want to thank you as a church for your care for his children. Here at Pioneer Clubs and Sunday School and at Camp Pinnacle, you've been a faithful supporter for us for a long time. Um, We do have our brochures at the printer, literally. Uh, We were waiting on the Lord because I needed someone for skateboard camp before we can go to print, and last week we got them. And the best the Lord could come up with was a world-renowned professional Christian skateboarder. So I said, that's okay. (laughs) Uh, You can check him out at ElijahMoore.org. I had a, a reference from another professional skateboarder. This was an awesome man of God. And I'm like, wow, Lord, it was worth the wait. God is always worth waiting on. He really is. And I had to wait upon him at the text this morning. Uh, Pastor Green has sent it over to me in the parable of the talents and we're all familiar with that parable and and he, you know he gave me the title of being trusted with abilities and I thought, "Well, that's fine. You know, we'll just explore how we can use our abilities for God." But then I looked at the text and I found out talents cannot be abilities. After all, when you look here at verse 15, he said he gave talents to each person according to his abilities. So it had to be something different. And I went, "Uh-oh." I better dig in and see what God is really saying here. And I think you'll be surprised at a number of things that we think we know on the surface, but you scratch in a little bit deeper, oh, this is what God really means. So let us just paint the context a little bit. Who is Jesus speaking to? In the previous chapter, chapter 24, we find Jesus has left the temple, left Jerusalem, And he went across the Kidron Valley, and he went up to the Mount of Olives. And there, his disciples came to him privately. And they had some questions for him. See, Jesus had raised a lot of questions with the things that he was teaching in Jerusalem. And they were waiting for a time in private that they would be able to speak with him. So the Lord is allowing us to drop in on a very private conversation with His closest disciples with whom He established the church. And they were asking Him questions about the end of the age and, and the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we find here. Jesus sets up a, a simile. Something on earth that they can understand so they can understand something in heaven. And He gone, went on to tell them that the kingdom of heaven was like. And here, it was like a man who'd gone on a journey He called his servants and entrusted property to them. And when God trusted property to them, I want you to realize that it wasn't a small thing. He had entrusted a great trust to them. In this parable, he uses the word talent. And we already established, well, talent can't be abilities because he gave to each one according to their ability. Well, what is a talent? Talent. In the time of Jesus, it was a unit of measure. It was a measure of weight. And in this case, it was given to money, whether it be silver or gold. And, and you look out through the old manuscripts, it referred to anything between 58 and 80 pounds. But normally it was around 75 pounds. Can you imagine having 75 pounds given to you of a precious metal? Especially the prices of what gold is today. A denarii was worth about a day's wage. A talent was equal to 10,000 denarii. That's 40 years worth of labor. One talent. A lifetime's worth of earnings. We're looking at something, according if we do the translation to our economy, about a million dollars. He had entrusted something amazing to them. And he didn't do it lightly. He looked at his servants. He assessed them. And he gave to each one according to his ability. It was a perfect match. Because he expected it to work. He wanted a good return on his investment. And it was a sizable investment. Now, when you look at this and you find that, imagine I was given $5 million and I turn into ten, Boy, I want to follow that finance here and invest with him. I look at this and I started to think about it. And I realized that God wasn't being unreasonable here. Or even this master... He was gone for a long time. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever heard heard in the financial world uh, the rule of 72. It's a rule that helps you to know when you invest your money with compound interest, how long will it take that money to double? So if you invested your money um, at 1% interest, it would take 72 years to double. You take one, divide it into 72, and there's your answer. If you got 6% interest, You would divide it into 72, and it would take you 12 years to double. Or 12% uh, would only take 6 years to double. So let us just say he was gone for about 12 years. That's a long time. It might be a reasonable amount to to double your money. So he was getting about 6% return. We're looking at a real-life example here. Something that gets duplicated in our economy every day. We're not looking at this pie in the sky, well, here's five million, give me ten, I'll be back tomorrow. He was gone for a long time. Now, he set up us here, a simile, so that we can better understand. But a simile just gets a point of cross. It doesn't tell us the whole thing. Now, we know in this, obviously, the Lord that Jesus was referring to, or the Master in this case, was Him. And what was God going to expect when He comes back to check in on each and every one of us when we check in with Him for our eternal reward? That day is coming. What does He expect? Well, let me ask you, what has God given to you. Now, in the case of this parable, the master only gave money to his servants according to their ability. But when it comes to God, he has given us everything. He has even given us our abilities. He has given us, as one commentator said, I look at this, really a talent is referring to opportunities. And I thought, well, you're right, but it's a lot more than that. God gives us opportunities, God gives us abilities, and God orchestrates everything that happens in every one of our lives. Do you know it says in Romans 8 that God works out all things together for good? It is amazing that everything that happens to every person's life in this room, God is in control of. And he's not going to let anything happen to you that is beyond your ability. Or as 1 Corinthians uh, goes on to state that none of us are tempted beyond what we are able. But with that temptation, he gives a way of escape. See, God always is aware of what we are able to handle. And sometimes we say, wow, Lord, you think a lot more of me than I do. I never thought I could handle this. And someone finds out that they have cancer. Or they have something that they thought they could never handle in their life. God said, with me, you can do anything. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So I think the title that the pastor chose for this section is good. Even though the context is separating abilities from talents with God, there is no separation. He is Lord of all. Everything. Everything. It was once a convention of scientists. <laughs> and they got together and they were just patting each other on the back saying, Wow, we're able to clone people, we're able to do all these miraculous things. We don't need God anymore. So they elected a representative to go to God to tell him we didn't need him. And he went to God and he said, God, we don't need you anymore. We can make man, we can do everything now. And God patiently listened. He says, Well, why don't we have a contest? And the scientist said, oh, sure, said, let's have a man-making contest. He said, okay. And he says, I want to do it like we did originally with Adam. And the scientist said, fine. So the scientist bent over, picked up a hand of dirt, and God said, oh, wait a minute now. He goes, why? He goes, get your own dirt. There's nothing in our life, right down to the dirt, that doesn't come from him. You know, in America, we like to be self-made individuals. And, and, and there's a lot to developing character that we can take care of ourselves and that we can take care of others. It is a good to be responsible. But we should never forget that we are totally dependent upon God. We take our breaths for granted. I remember when I was at the age of the people, and the young people in the front pew here, I, I, I was at... Um, Up in Rhode Island, I was doing, I won't recommend this, but cliff jumping off into a quarry. And we jumped down into it, and we were doing this underwater swim contest. And one person swam under, and he went out about halfway out. And I thought, I'm going to beat them. And I went, and I beat them. And then a couple others went, and and then I said, I want to go again. And I had decided to myself, I said, I am not going to go for a breath until I let out every stitch of air. And I swam, and I swam, and I swam. And then I, I needed breath, but I thought, well, I'll get a couple more strokes by breathing out slowly. I let it all out. And then I said, now I'm going to have to hold it in order to get to the surface. And I looked up, and it was dark. I, that quarry was several hundred feet deep, and I just kept swimming like this, like this, like this. And I frantically, I'm trying to go to the surface, almost ready to pass out. And I come up, and I'm just a couple of feet away from the end of the quarry. And one of the guys said, wow, Chris, you know, if you went any further, that end of the quarry goes into a shelf. I went, wow. Don't take your breath for granted. Realize that you are dependent upon God for absolutely everything. God is aware of everything. The hair on our heads, I know with some of us, he's making his job easier. But if God has the hair on our heads numbered, the sparrows in the sky, if he even says that you give a cup of cold water, Tim, you get credit. He went and got me a cup this morning uh, for cold water. You will get your reward. The little details, God is in control and interested in all of them. What are you going to do with them? Then at the moment, that you accepted Jesus Christ and you were made part of his family, he gave you a spiritual gift. That happened. It was part of being born. Just like you're born with abilities and talents that come out later. Some people can play the piano. My wife could tell you, I cannot. I can't read music. I have a hard time. I can make a joyful noise. Give me a melody line, I do okay. Ask me to sing a part and people start laughing. And I'm lucky if they only laugh. (laughs) That's why I don't sing in choirs. We have, some, we have these abilities, the things that we actually can do and can't do. God gave them to us. Well, the same is true at the moment that you were born again. He gave you a spiritual gift to be exercised for the building up of the church, not for the building up of yourself. He is looking to see what we do with them as well. God has given us a great trust. You know how valuable something is by what somebody else is willing to pay for it. How much was God willing to pay for your salvation? He gave us His Son. And we've been, my wife and I have been blessed with five children. I can't think of anything in this world that I'd be willing to give up one of them for. So we're right in keeping with the theme of this text this morning, that a talent is very valuable. You are very valuable. See, you were made as a part of the church. And yet you might not be a wagging tongue like me up here this morning. You may be a finger or you may be a lung. Or as I found out a number of years ago that the liver is extremely important. Well, about 17 years ago, hon, my, my liver failed, and I about died. My skin all came off. Uh, when uh, some of our missionary friends, I was a village missionary for 20 years, they they, they told Vicky, "Well, I guess we won't see Chris next year." I, I remember one time I looked so bad. I got up in the middle of the night. I turned the light on in the bathroom, and I saw this reflection in the mirror, and I thought I was, I, I got scared. I went, "Oh, who else is here?" And this thin, emaciated, white person was me. Well, I come to appreciate my liver. Well, if you're just that part in the church, just because you don't get much recognition, realize that you are essential to the functioning of this body. So no matter what your ability is, whether it's up here or down there or out in the community or in your family, Everything you do is very important to God. He has already set a premium on it. And he's looking to see what you are going to do with it. He came back and he had a great increase. I mean, ten talents? Boy, this guy had something worth ten million dollars? And do you know what it says? When you look uh, in this text, he goes, you've been entrusted with few things. Now you will be entrusted with many things. Enter into your Master's happiness. What we are entrusted with is very valuable to God. But it is nothing compared to that which He is going to entrust us with. Do you know that according to 1 Corinthians 6, that one day we are going to be judging angels? I don't think it's really accurate what you see on some of the old tombstones, RIP, standing for rest in peace. We're not going to be sitting around lounging on some cloud up there. We're going to have challenges and adventures that this world has never even known. God has made us, He made us to like interesting things. Do you think heaven's going to be boring? You don't have a clue. But Jesus here, in sharing with his disciples, is giving them clues to help them to understand the importance of the short time that we have in living this life, that it should be lived for God in everything. Now, who better than the Apostle Paul to be able to compare heaven with earth? I mean, he was left for dead several times. He said he was caught up into heaven, whether in the body or spirit. He didn't know, but he was there. And he shares for the people in Philippi in chapter 3 and verse 8. He said, when I compare everything that you have in this world to that of gaining Christ, I count them but rubbish. Now rubbish is kind of a euphemistic interpretation of the word. It is really talking about dung here. Just think the riches of this world, all the things that we have or, or want to have, is really just a pile of dung compared to what God offers. Now, we do not envy a fly's diet, at least I hope you don't. You know, Pinnacle, we have horses, so we got a lot of flies, and I see what they go for. I don't want that. Just think if you choose this world over the one to come, you're like a fly. By faith, understand and live your life well. He gives a greater joy. Enter the happiness of your master. You know, it, it seems to be our goal in life. We all want to be happy and we, we do things that fulfill ourselves to be happy. Well, God has given us the answer and it is found in Him. As good as family, job, home, and possessions are. We're to hate them compared to our love for the Lord. We're to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to us. It's interesting to note that the fellow that had two talents and the fellow that had five talents received the same reward. They both had their cup overflowing. Now, I'm sure the guy with five talents had more responsibility in, heaven, in keeping with his abilities, but whether your cup is small or whether your cup is tall, God's going to make it overflowing, and you're not going to have any sense of lack. You're just what God made you to be in order to honor Him. And just like all the snow, and there's a lot of snow outside, isn't there? all the snow between here and camp pinnacle if you looked at those trillions upon trillions of snowflakes you would not find one that was the same as another so to you in the kingdom of god have a very unique place that only you can fill that's why you're so valuable when i was a kid i used to collect coins i remember i was always looking for 1955 double die i think there was only a few of them made you know, they were worth, I look in the book, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I go, wow, I wish I had one of those. I never got one. Good thing, because I only had two coin collections in my life, and they both were stolen. So if I had one, it wouldn't have lasted very long. We learn, if you're in the newsmatics, that you find that the less they minted or the more rare something was, the more valuable it was. You are the only you that God has ever made. And all the people passed, and if he should tarry for any to come, You are unique. That's why He was willing to give His Son for you. You are very valuable. And so much so we see here that it says in the text that come and share in your master's happiness. And it goes, well here, here's your happiness. No, we have it with Him. One person was asked, what is heaven like? And they very wisely answered, it says, heaven is where Jesus is. Oh yes, it has streets of gold and all these other amazing things. But the person of God, we are blessed not only by His great creation, but how much better and greater is the Creator. He wants to have that intimate relationship with you in every area of your life, with every ability, with every possession, with every opportunity. Gifts that are physical, gifts that are spiritual. In the church, out of the church. He is looking. As Psalm 32 eight says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's eye is always upon us. Now, as we looked at the text this morning, we find that even though he was gone on a long journey, the reckoning was sure. He was coming back. In verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. Let me ask you, has our master been gone for a long time? Acts chapter 2, up into heaven. Now we're in 2011. Yeah, he's been gone a long time. Just because he's gone a long time does it mean he won't come back. <laughs> you look at your Bibles that you have. Do you realize a third of your Bible when it was written was written in future tense? It was written prophetically? And now that one third of the Scripture that was written in future tense, 90% of that Has already come to pass, and quite literally. When I was a young Christian, I went back to Long Island where I grew up. My friend across the street, his name was Paul Copa, and I wanted to challenge, kind of, witness to him. And and he was a real skeptic. He's still actually to this day an atheist, a lawyer in New York City doing something. And I took, I, I said, I want to do a test with you, Paul. And I read to him Psalm 22. And if you read Psalm 22 you find that it so accurately depicts the the crucifixion of our Lord. I mean it talks about rolling dice for his clothing and his clothes not being torn and being hung between two thieves and every bone being broken out of every bone being out of joint and, and all of this and I read this to an atheist. And I said, "Paul, I have one question for you." I said, "Did I just read to you from the Old Testament or the New?" And you know what he said to me and I quote, "Chris, I'm not stupid." That's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's from the New Testament. I said, Paul, I said, this was written a thousand years before the crucifixion and 500 years before the method of crucifixion was ever even invented. So when God says something, do you think you can count on it? Just because it's been a long time. Don't let that make your faith wane. Realize that you're that much closer to that day. Of the Lord. And he will come to settle accounts, and we would be wise to live for that day. James Elliot, that missionary to the Auka Indians in South America, who died the year I was born, nineteen fifty-seven, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You'd be wise to follow that advice. Also, he said this, and there's a new quote that I keep on my mind uh, quite often these days. He goes, wherever you are, be holy there. Don't flow through life. As Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. And when you're tired, go to sleep. But don't sleep through work. Be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Give of your best to the Master. There's an old saying in the business world, a worker doesn't do what you expect, he does what you inspect. Know that each of us, there's a day coming that we will be inspected by the Lord Himself. And the reward is sure for the faithful, well done, now good and faithful servant. Your cup will overflow. You'll enter into your master's happiness. You'll have great adventures, greater challenges, more things you'll be put in charge of. Whatever it is according to your ability and purpose for which he had uniquely made you. But for the faithless, judgment. Now I'm going to say something, and it's going to sound like heresy. But hear me out. You've heard it said that you cannot believe everything you read. Listen close now. You cannot believe everything you read in the Bible. Huh? What do you mean? Well, let's look at verses 24 and 25. Then the man... Who had received the one talent came. Master, I said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you did not sow servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown. And gathered where I had not scattered seed. Question mark. He goes, okay. I'm going to use your own words. And what you said you believed. To judge you. Well then. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I return I would have received it back with interest. So my question to you is, why didn't he put the money in the bank? He just buried it in the ground. See, you've got to be careful. In the Scripture, you have to take things in context. God is reasonable. He invented reason. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Why didn't he put his money in the bank? <laughs> he was a wicked and lazy servant, but he was shrewd. Servant, his master went on a long journey. Now, you can ask the, good, the guy the Good Samaritan helped just how hazardous it was to travel in those days. Beaten and left for dead. Well, there's a good chance the master may never come back. But if so, if he didn't come back, I wouldn't know where this money is hidden. I'd have it. If he did come back, I'm in trouble. I'll bury the money and I'll still have it to give to him. He was hedging his bets. He was prepared whether he did not come back or he did come back. And he had rehearsed this answer. And just like many people thought they tricked Jesus when they came up to test him. you You know, should we give taxes to Caesar or not? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and the God what is God's. And they're like, gee, we didn't think there was an answer to that. Well, the issue here we find is belief. And this man we know was an unbeliever. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Look at the works of this guy. And in verse 30, as we conclude this text, He said, and throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting. We find in this text both saved and unsaved receiving talents. So the talent cannot just equate only to spiritual gifts. It applies to everything. For the Lord gives everything to you. So when we find here, as the pastor entitled Entrusted with Abilities... God is looking at every little thing in your life. What are you going to do with him? You know, we are told in the scripture, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you can do all to the glory of God. And that is our challenge before us this morning. To sanctify and further sanctify every area of our life. Even the things that look so small to us can be glory to him. So in conclusion, I just want to ask us a few questions. In Philippians 2.12, we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now we know salvation is a free gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast, according to Ephesians 2. But, though we need not be afraid to be thrown out, we need to make sure that we are ready to hear, well done Thou good and faithful servant. And what more honorable thing is there to do with our efforts than to invest it into His church? The bride of Christ. He is preparing us as individuals and as a body for eternity. What are you doing for the church? It was great to see all that you are doing. But... Whatever you are, whatever part of that body, you are important and need to be functioning. Believe me, I had never thought of my liver until I was like 37 and it fell. But God is always thinking of you. What did Jesus do for His church? He gave His all. Should we give less? Let me ask you this question. Are you living more for the now for the then. Are you anticipating more His return or your retirement? As a young pastor, I learned early on this matter of setting a priority. One of my first funerals was for Louise Mallory. She lived Her whole life for retirement. She worked hard in the textile mill and put life on hold till 65. When she turned 65, she retired. She was ready to live life. And at that very moment, she was struck with cancer. And she so much did not want to leave that which she had waited 40 years for of her working life that she would not die. I was there when her daughter saying, Mom, mom, please let go, as her condition got to be very, very unsightly. She would not let go. Do we dread that day? Or are we looking forward to the day that we see our Lord? When He holds us account to the abilities and the gifts that He has given us. You know, we live so long in this world And even if we live to 100, it's so short. It is gone. If I should live that long, I'm already past the halfway mark. But as the hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We have a short opportunity that we will not have in eternity. It is to please God by faith. And as the author of Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. May God help us to take each ability, each opportunity, everything that is in our life, and handle it by faith for Him. May we be good stewards of that which He has entrusted to us. Father, that is our prayer. One day we will be held accountable. Help us to live for that day in every way, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.